Right, um, now listen carefully, um, you, um, I, I, this is Boris uh, Johnson here, I'm uh, just, uh, giving to you, preparing for you, uh, letting you know that you are listening to Toby Haydock's, ridiculous name, Ta- Toby Haydock's, Haydock's, uh, T- Toby Haddock's, uh, News Round, um, and, um, yes, lovely, Boris Johnson, all will be explained in this feature-length Toby Haydock's News Round, which is uh, over an hour, so I'm really spoiling it. But a milestone story is being covered. Here we are, we've met in the roundhouse in Chalk Farm. I've met with a fellow thespian, uh, and so I'm going to ask her who she is. I know, but you don't. Who she is, and why I'm talking to her about Doctor Who. Well, welcome to the Roundhouse and welcome to my neighbourhood, Chalk Farm. You are talking to Shakuntala Ramani. Yes, I'll repeat that, it's not the easiest name. Shakuntala Ramani, also known as Srila from Doctor Who. Now, the last televised uh, classic series Doctor Who story, Survival. Indeed. But of course, the thing is that when we recorded it, when we were filming it at the time, nobody had a clue that that was the case, that it was going to be the last one. So we didn't realise how special it was going to be and what a lot of attention it was going to get till afterwards, you see. So there was no sense amongst the production at all that it was it was on its last legs? Well, we... I, I don't know about the producers and, and, you know, that side of things, but the actors, we didn't know. No. And what was it up? Because obviously Doctor Who has had this long history and, and, and has gone through pre- peaks and troughs of success and failure. And obviously Survival uh, was not the most apt title because it didn't. It didn't. Um, <laughs> but was there a, when you were, go, were you going into a show that people were excited about or were you going into a show that people thought was awful? I think I was going into a show that, that people were excited about. I think people are always interested in Doctor Who. It's one of those timeless, you know, um, programmes. Um, I suppose it, it has peaked and dropped, indeed. I think there have been times when, you know, in the 60s, there was nothing like it. It was phenomenal. So I think there it got an awful lot of interest and attention. I think at some point it, it, that dwindled. But certainly, I think, when we were doing it, yeah, there was a lot of interest. And I think that a lot of that is to do with the Doctor. And I think Sylvester made, made a great Doctor Who. But I think he's got an energy, an intensity about him and I think that that's what is appealing and quite mesmerising about his Doctor Who, yes indeed and it's, um, it's, it's quite an interesting cast I, I don't know what it is about the cast of Survivor but I seem to somehow now that I've met you as well, seem to know almost everybody in it, you were put in touch with me um, via a lovely gentleman called Cliff Chapman but yes. also Lisa Bowerman Lisa well. Well, so, so you stood at, had you met Lisa before Survival? do you know funnily enough we, we had worked together the previous year yeah in my first telly which was which was Casualty so we met there and then again on on Survival and I think what's quite unusual is that a few of us keep in touch we don't keep in touch as regularly as we'd like to but you know, there are the Christmas cards, and there are the there's the odd email, and in fact, the strangest thing is that uh, myself, well, I, I was I was at the Heath 
somewhere, you know, one Sunday afternoon. And there was David John, another one of the group, yeah. the gang. Um, we bumped into each other. And, and ever since then, we've been sort of meeting up and going for We both love walking, so going for walks on the heath. And a number of us kind of, you know, bump into each other or arrange to meet. And it's quite nice. So after some time apart, we've now seen each other. And as memorable jobs go, um, and doing a Doctor Who goes, sitting around in a quarry uh, <laughs> is, is, is probably as, as, as definitive as it gets. It's about as definitive as it gets. Especially when the quarry is something like 90 degrees in the sun. It was so hot. Yeah. So I bet you were pleased you weren't in, a, in, in Lisa's costume. I wasn't in a cat costume, no. I mean, she really just had to have a T-shirt and, and jeans on, I think, at the time. So it was, uh, it was, it was an easy job for me. We had some um, some wilting cat people, in fact, and, um, you know, very dehydrated and exhausted and thoroughly fed up. And, you know, as the afternoon went on, the costume came off. <laughs> a lot of them were... And so, so typical, um, so we finally get some hot weather in, in Great Britain and you're having to be under lights and cameras and, um, I guess, even in jeans and a T-shirt. No, we were boiling, absolutely. But to be in the quarry was... <laughs> quite special so I didn't want to complain too much this was the quarry that you see in all the episodes you know in, in, in so much of Doctor Who so to be there was pretty you know, pretty special and of course the, you know where we're staying in uh, Ludworth Cove Ludworth Cove. Cove. Cove it was beautiful I mean absolutely gorgeous and, and the, you know, so once whenever we'd finished filming which was something like around seven or eight or whatever it was then we'd be on the beach or we'd be in the pool and that now that I remember very well you know the, the, the setting was pretty beautiful and what was lovely was that you know we'd all go out and eat in the evening and by all I mean absolutely everybody the camera people the producers the directors us you know we would and, and that's that's great because like you say normally everyone just shoots off and you don't get to see anyone so that was lovely so do you remember how you got the parts I assume you would have to have uh, gone in and do you know I I remember exactly how I got the part I um, happened to go into my co-op that I was part of at the time on a weekend which is a bit unusual, but I had to go and collect something, and I, I, I just flicked. I, I will explain for listeners that a co-op yes. is an acting agency where the agent are the actors themselves. Absolutely. Shakuntala um, wasn't going to her local supermarket <laughs> to pick up some sandwiches uh, and give her a party in Doctor I Who. probably did that on the way, no. Um, I, I flicked through the breakdowns that you get. You probably remember SBS. Yes. So I, yeah, I flicked through that. There was a breakdown of Doctor Who. So I was immediately interested. I thought, this is fascinating. And then I saw that there was a part of somebody called Srila, Asian. I kind of fitted the description. <laughs> and then I discovered that the director who I'd worked with on Casualty, the one that where I met Lisa, was directing it. And... I just wrote off, didn't hear anything for a while, and then got this letter back saying, of course I remember you, come in and, you know, let's see if you're right. It's, you know, it's 
been a little while. Let's see if you fit this. And I don't know much about Alan, so what's, what's Alan's working methods like? I, I think he's got certainty. For me, I think he, he knows what works. And having said that, he will also leave you as an actor to kind of find what you're doing within it. And you'll be, you know, thinking things through and looking at the script and working away and he'll come back and have a chat with you. And very quickly kind of accept, you know, pick up on what's working and give you very good steers as to, as to you know, what you could do to develop things. So it's kind of, I just absolutely, I think he understood the the style and the nature of what of, of the piece of what he was directing and it's whatever actually because the other one was it was casualty very different and again he got the kind of he, he understood what was needed from that from that script yeah and it's what what did you think of the the part i think that part was interesting that that's the thing i think that there was an effort being made to get you know integrated casting going but what you often find is that the parts were quite limited within that so and, and dare I say it it hasn't necessarily moved on you know at such you a pace a either thank you I have played a lot of doctors sadly not Doctor Who <laughs> I, played, I played a lot of doctors and you know unfor- you, you know it's great if you get a part that is even a doctor, where it's not functional, where there's a life behind that character. I've had some of those, and they've been very enjoyable. What you often get is, you know, oh, your your right arm's broken, and um, I have to admit you to hospital immediately. <laughs> That's the kind of dialogue you get. And, you know, you're there to kind of serve a particular purpose which is to remind people that they're living in multicultural Britain but not to go much further than that. So it's lip service. Lip service really but but this was different which is why I I couldn't quite believe I'd, I'd stumbled across it and why I really really wanted to do it. And interesting rather that, than being the functional. The, well it's also interesting for that time period was that her, her ethnicity was not her character. Absolutely she wasn't a walking symbol she wasn't an issue she was Trila, who, you know, she was friends with somebody and who was in this predicament in the same way that the others were. And, and, and each of them reacted in their own individual way. You know, so, yeah, I, I loved that about it, actually. And did you, did you see it when it went out? And did you think it was uh, a good show? Because I, I, I have to be honest, at the time, I... I well, even now, I don't watch a lot of television. I catch bits, it's you know. It's not compulsory. It's not compulsory, so. but people, some people feel it should be uh, in my line of work. But No, I... In a way, because I hadn't seen a lot of what went before and a lot of what went after, it's hard to say how, you know, how it compares. But certainly, in as, in as far as that story went, I, I rather liked it. And I think, I think part of the reason for that is because... The third coincidence was when I saw it was Perivale. I couldn't quite believe it. I had lived there the previous year. I'd lived in Greenford, which is literally up the road from Perivale, with six other mates of mine. We'd had the most horrific year. (laughs) I fared not too badly, actually, some of the others. We were number 13, Greenford Road. 
and you know you may not be superstitious but you would be after hearing about our year in that house various things went on during that year which were kind of pretty catastrophic for some people actually and I thought oh my god I'm back there again <laughs> just when I thought I'd escaped it was the last um, curtain for uh, certainly a character in both senses of the word, who flitted in and out of Doctor Who, and that was Anthony Ainley oh, as the master. Yes, where he was mesmerising, on screen and off, just very um, enigmatic. I mean, one of these people who just has presence. That wasn't sort of an actor or put on for that part. He had this resonating voice and piercing eyes, and you know, fitted, really did. But very gentle with it, not not scary, just. Yes, an interesting man, yeah. And uh, we've not mentioned, and I'm sure we both adore her, Sophie Aldred. Oh, now, Sophie, I loved working with Sophie. Absolutely loved it. We were quite mad. We used to sing a lot and laugh a lot and tell jokes and just, she, she was just, she felt like somebody I'd known for a lot longer than I had, quite immediately, just by being so open and so lovely. Um, and the way life goes, we kind of lost touch with each other, and you won't believe it. And this is what keeps happening around here. I was at Chalk Farm next door, where, where I met you today, and um, this was literally two months ago, three months ago, and this voice said, Shakuntala, I can't believe it. And it was, it was Sophie, and she said, I'm, I'm going round the corner to do some work, and we swapped numbers, and we will meet up and she said you know but I've noticed I've seen you on the circuit I've seen your name I've been keeping track she said she's a stalker I've, uh, she, she, came see, she came to see my show in Edinburgh oh um, okay and then I subsequently bumped into her on the streets of Edinburgh every single day oh my after that so I think she just follows yeah. people. <laughs> she probably followed me there, yeah. yeah. I think she's stalking you. <laughs> stalking me. Well, I, no, I, I would just love to meet up like this with her, actually. And you were talking, the other thing, we haven't mentioned, the, the script for your Doctor Who was rare for Doctor Who, and it was written by a woman, and yes, also written by Rona Munro, who's That's gone on right. to have a very good career on the stage. Yes, indeed. Yes, I know. I mean, I noticed that when I was... I was applying actually, I must say. Oh, it, it was oh, so then a quite unusual. strain running through the script, isn't there? In Absolutely. Terms of Ace and her sisterhood with Lisa Barrowman's character. That's right. No, I think I think that was that was very much there, and an understanding as well of of, of those people at that stage in their life and their their relationships. Absolutely, yeah. Well, obviously more to life than Doctor Who. I'm sorry to break it to you, everybody. <laughs> um, and obviously you came in, so we've talked about the, the, the landscape of acting when you hit Doctor Who. So you haven't been a lot of acting for an awfully long time, professionally. Oh, no, 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 I was, no, no, not at all. And had, I started. Had, had it always been your, your plan to act? Do you know, it had, yes. Um, Is there any background of that in your family? There isn't. I come from a very working-class family, you know, my father's a postman, working John Lewis and did everything he could to make ends meet. My mum, nursing auxiliary, auxiliary, which means she doesn't train, and, you know, both hard-working people. But my father loved um, Indian classical music, and he used to play the drums, not the tabla, because we're South Indian, but those barrel-shaped drums. 
And so I do have memories of, of well, there lots of memories of going to Queen Elizabeth Hall and, you know, the Purcell rooms and watching him on the stage playing, playing drums. And so that was quite unique, I suppose. But nobody was in, in acting at all. But the thing is, for me, um, to be very honest with you, I was uh, quite genuinely, I, w I was very interested in what made people tick in reading people and watching them and in the psychology behind people and what made them act the way they did. So if I'd been more scientific, I might have gone into something like psychology, let's say. But this, that was the reason I went into acting. I, I never really thought, ooh, you know, the, the lights and the, the glamour and any of that. Um, because still, some of the, the work I enjoy most, if I've just finished a show, are the small fringe venues that produce such good work and such good writing. Um, and that's constantly what I'm looking for, is, is interesting, challenging work, really. Well, you good because Cliff Chapman, who put us in touch, is yes. a neutral friend, and that's because yes. you, 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 you are you, you spend a lot of your time reading through new plays and Absolutely. getting them out loud, and so even when yeah. you're not doing a job, job, you're, no. you're still you're still infused by the process. I I love the process. I love readings, which is how I know how I know Cliff. We play a playwrights. We we you know we go every Monday or whichever Mondays we can, you know. Um, writers will try out their their new pieces, and and us actors will sit round and and you know try and get it as close to what the writer wants, so that the you know the audience often of writers and actors and directors will listen to it and give feedback. It's for for the writers, so they give feedback to the writers on you know on on how they think it's working and what can be improved. I love that process. Yeah. And so, as someone who was, you know, at the start of her career, uh, it was actually it was season 26, wasn't it? Yeah. So, so, so Doctor Who just, just celebrated its 25th anniversary. Yes. Uh, and we're now about to celebrate Doctor Who's 50th yes. anniversary. How has the landscape changed as an actor then in those 25 years? Well, now that's interesting. I think that theatre-wise, theatre has been so marginalised. I think that... There's so much less out there, and I, I feel for people just, you know, coming out of drama school now, it's so much harder, so much harder. The reps that were there, the tours that were there, it's been squeezed and squeezed and squeezed, and it's just going to sound very bleak, isn't it? But, but, <laughs> but what's great, which is why I mentioned the play readings and things like this, if people can just get writing, get producing, get putting on their own work. I know it can cost money, you know, but if there's ways if there's ways of doing that and making sure that your your skills are always being honed and you're out there doing what you want to do, that's the way forward. Because otherwise it's very difficult. And you're having to wait for a piece of problem that you're thrown, you know, and it may not be very interesting. So what have been the interesting jobs? What have been the highlights? What have been the bits that you've enjoyed the most? Oh, goodness. Do you know, it's it's a bit like having two different careers doing film and doing theatre, I think. The discipline is so different and the whole process is so different that, that I have loved things about both sides of what I've done. 
Um, I like I've liked working on really quality tellies, like things that are just very well filmed, like Trial and Retribution and those kind of things, where they just there's a lot of attention to detail in what you're doing. So I love that. Um, my theatre has has offered me so many varied parts. You know, it's been classical. I've done Shakespeare. I've done contemporary. I've done all sorts. I've, done, I've played the Virgin Mary. I've played, you know, a prostitute. I've played everything. Uh, so I suppose the fact that it's been so flexible for me and so varied and exciting, I've loved. I've loved that. And another aspect I love is is radio. Um, and you know hope to do more of that actually because then it's just about the text you can't be lazy you can't rely on anything else and it's very on- obvious when you when it's not working as well so yeah, and you can play anything on radio and you can play anything i have played a um, depressed obese english woman <laughs> as regular listeners will know they haven't paid for this and we haven't been paid for this so we ask you to donate to a charity that I'm going to ask Shakuntala to nominate now. Yes, I, I think um, Water Aid, actually, would be my choice. And I sound surprised because I'm a re- regular subscriber to Amnesty, in fact. Um, and of course, you know, forever, you know, investing in Oxfam as well. But I, I really feel that um, there's a dire need. <laughs> in terms of water around the globe and that's that's more extreme than we realise and um, could end up affecting us a good choice and and also uh, were this to be broadcast visually um, regular subscribers would know that Oxfam gets quite enough help from me judging by my wardrobe (laughs) so so they're probably alright for now Um, yeah the big charities do yeah okay And um, it's Doctor Who's 50th birthday, and which is why I'm doing this silly thing. Um, thank you very much for, for, for agreeing to do it. And do you have a message to all those listening Doctor Who fans out there or a summary of your time on Doctor Who? Well, my time on Doctor Who was absolutely... Um, it was memorable, that's what I'd say. I, 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 I shall never forget that experience. And what I have to say to Doctor Who fans is that I am in awe, as I said to you before, of their knowledge, of just how much they know of the whole, you know, history from the 60s right through. Um, I've, I've been amazed at the signings and the conventions, you know, just how much, how, how much they know. Well, there you are, Doctor Who fans. That's genuine awe. So that's uh, you are in the proper meaning of the word, not the modern parlance. You are genuinely awesome. So, uh, 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 as is my interview today, and so it just remains for me to say, second of thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Um, this is going to be a particularly sober Who's Round. The last few have been recorded in a pub, but we're having the finest coffee in East Finchley. And I'm with a gentleman who is in... Uh, well, I shall ask him to tell me who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. Well, I'm David John, and I was in Survival, which I can't even remember what year it was, actually. It was the last broadcast it, Doctor it Who story, last, so it was it, 1989. It was the, That's right, it was quite significant, because it was the last one. Um, so... 
uh, many years ago now. It's interesting, a lot of the interviews I read, certainly at the time and certainly on the DVD, um, everyone, when they say, oh, what about the cast and all that sort of thing, and they went, oh, and Dave John was in it, and David's so experienced, he'd done loads of work. So uh, you seem to be the one that everybody thinks about who worked on that as, as having come with a significant body of work. So you've been working since you were very young. Yeah, um, I mean, I would say the, my busiest time in my career was pre-Doctor Who kind of thing. I mean, but, you know, from the beginning, which was 79 up to 89, maybe a couple of years after that, I was still quite busy, was my busiest time because I, I looked young. So as a young actor coming out of drama school, if you look young and you're anywhere near pretty good, you work as, you know, teenage... I was playing all teenage kind of roles. Uh, and luckily enough, I got kind of RSC season very early on, very young, which was fantastic. I was a, I was a young kid, I was 19, and I was working with brilliant actors, you know, the Alan Armstrongs of this world. Um, so that was my kind of welcome-to-the-business job. I learnt an incredible amount from all those guys. And that led on to a lot of other similar kind of work. So, yeah, I've done quite a lot of telly, film and theatre uh, during that 10-year period. Because um, what happens is, if you look particularly young and you don't start to look older, the parts that you're cast in, are more, it's more difficult to cast you because I've always looked young, still look young. I can never, still can't really play a grown-up. Um, but at that time it was a great advantage to be you know late 20s I still look 21 2021 so you know it worked very well for me in the early part of my career yeah well because you've got you've got the experience and the nous that's right but you look younger so you can play younger roles uh, having been round round the block and done it all a few times Uh, roles like Derek in survival who uh, didn't, didn't cope too well with life on the Cat's Planet. So, had you worked with Alan Waring before? No, I haven't worked with Alan. I, I worked with Sylvester McCoy um, in a series called Big Jim and the Figaro Club. Oh, yeah. Which was back in, well, that must have been the early 80s, uh, which was a wonderful series. We all loved it. Um, got on brilliantly with Sylvester. We shared a house down in Exmouth, um, he and I, and David Beckett, one of the other actors. Um, and really became close. I got to know his kids. He had young kids at the time, Sylvester. Um, and we became good friends. And he suggested me to Alan Waring, because once he'd read the script, he thought, oh, there's something in this for Dave. You know, he could play Derek. Uh, so he suggested me, and then I met, went and met Alan down at the BBC to kind of read for the role, you know, audition for it, and he, he gave me the part. So that's how it works. That's curious, because we're all very familiar with Sylvester McCoy as the Doctor and as an actor in other things. Don't really think about it, living in a house with people. What's it like living with Sylvester McCoy? Well, it was it was great fun uh, at the time. It was he had young kids. His kids, were, I think, were two and four, something like that. That young, so they were back in London with mum, and we were all away living in a house. Three actors, and there was lots of actors down there. In, and we were in Exmouth. We were working hard, but we were playing hard as well. There was a particular couple of particular bars we used to like. Uh, who knew us really well and after work we'd be straight down to to the fisherman's net it was called Uh, you know I had dinner there and a few bottles of wine and it was just it was non-stop fun you know and and, I mean we continued that I'm still good friends with Sylvester now and he's actually godfather to my son as well so you know we see him regularly and and he's just great guy to hang around with and uh, it's interesting when you know somebody as a friend 
do you see a change in them when they're having to sort of carry a series and play a lead role? Because there's a big responsibility to that, isn't there? Yeah. Um, I think, you, you you know, the focus has got to be constant, isn't it? If you're, if you're the lead role, um, a lot of us get time off and days off and, you know, not so many lines, etc., etc. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's less time to play hard. When you're when you're when you're the lead in in a series, you got to be bright and bushy, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed in the morning, you know. Um, so yeah, there is a difference, but you know, it, it, he's got a great joie de vivre, Ken. Uh, Ken, I say Ken, Sylvester. Anyway, uh, you know, what, whatever, whatever the stretch, you know, he's just done the Hobbit, and you know, he did the, did the world tour with him. You know, it's just that's his work. Yeah. But he likes to enjoy life as well. And uh, is it possible to enjoy... I suppose if you're doing a Doctor Who, um, it's one thing to do the fine leather Doctor Who story, but it's also another to do a Doctor Who story that's set in a quarry. Yes. Well, it, yeah, the planet, the, the famous uh, cat people planet, yeah. It, it just happened to be the hottest day. I'm sure you've heard this story before. That I think any of us can ever remember. It was must have been 90 degrees. We were completely exposed in this quarry running around, uh, you know, if you've, you've seen this show, so we're running around, getting away from the cats all day. It was possibly one of the hardest days of work any of us have ever done. Uh, couldn't hydrate enough, just couldn't get enough water down. It was extraordinary. And it was in a quarry in the middle of Dorset, and there was no shade. And uh, however tough it was for us, for those people dressed up as the cats, it was just, it was hell for them. I mean, it, was, it really was a... <laughs> it was something I don't think any of us will ever forget. But it looks all right in the end, so <laughs> that's what yeah. it's all about. It's, it, I mean, as quarries go, it looks very good on the screen. It did look like another planet. Yeah. It really did. And, and that's to do with, I mean, Alan Waring's shooting of it. I think of the 80s directors of Doctor Who, he's, he's got a heck of a visual style. So what was he like to work with? Yeah, fine, very easy. Uh, we had a few rehearsals. It was back in the old days when, you know, actors used to get a chance to rehearse for a telly job. Um because they, we don't get that anymore. Um, so, yeah, it, it was that, my, my memories of the whole job with Alan, with all the cast, was just very smooth, very easy. He was always very clear in what he wanted and put it across to us. And, you know, that was it. The, the toughest thing was that day in the quarry where it was a very hard day because everyone was... By well, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, everyone was finished and we had a lot to do still. So uh, that was the only kind of test for us all. We were staying in Lulworth Cove in a lovely little hotel. It was very comfortable, you know, it was a great bunch. We had Julian Holloway, who was a lovely guy to hang around with. He was really nice and insisted on buying us drinks and meals all the time because he was, he was doing very well. He was doing a lot of voiceover stuff at the time. In fact, he, he, he told me, I didn't realise, I was doing a TV ad a couple of years before for Vauxhall which was quite a high-profile ad, and it was a kind of soap opera ad. So uh, we were remaking these. We did about two years of ads for Vauxhall, and it was really good for me. Um, and he was the, the voiceover. Ah. So he'd be the one at the end. He, he came up to me and he went, oh, I've always wanted to meet you. I said, I've got loads of jobs out of that Vauxhall ad you did. Because uh, every time there was a new model, he would be called in to say, the new Vauxhall Astra or the new Vauxhall, whatever it was, you know. So he was getting more work than we were. So he was really happy with the, with the Vauxhall campaign. Well, he lives in LA now. So oh, does he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's done okay. <laughs> yeah. No, he had a great career as a voice, uh, voiceover, uh, just at the right time as well. Because back then, 
you could get really good wages for, for, for you know lots of repeats and things. it's changed a bit now um, yes a, a big advert is not the job it once it's not the job it used to be and it's still a good job compared to the rest of the of voice work but uh, yeah no buyouts are much smaller now um, but t- you know things change things change but he was there at the, at the, at the right time well and you you were saying before we started recording you do a lot of voice work yourself now yeah I, I, um, I only do voice work now um, I don't look for acting work at the moment because I'm looking after my son on my own so I can't go away or commit to a, a theatre job or te- even telly really uh, I mean that day will come when I will start to look for work again um, which I look forward to that but my son is eight at the moment so there's a few years yet before I'm pre- yeah. <laughs> prepared to leave him for any particular any, any period um, but time flies you know it's, it's, you know, it's incredible that, that, that eight years since he was born is just absolutely flown um, and I haven't looked I've done a couple of small little acting things that have been one-offs you know a couple of short films that have been for friends that kind of thing so I'm keeping my hand in but I haven't got an agent because there's no point getting someone to look for work for me that I'm going to say no I can't do it so voice work is my living it's my at the moment that's my career is my voice career which I enjoy I really enjoy it because two things one you can do a lot of work that you can't do because of how you look visually you're counted out of so much work just because everyone is because you are either tall or small or fat or thin or you look how you look but with your voice you can do so much more so so we you know i get to do characters that i never would because of my appearance so that's really good i'd like to do more drama actually because i mainly do audio books i do a lot of revoicing dubbing on film and telly uh you know some various other kind of corporate jobs and radio ads and things like that but it's 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 a good it's a good career i enjoy it um and it's just great that you're able to do if you can't go and act because you know the commitment to an acting job is so kind of complete if you can't do that for a few years the voice work is often you go to work in the morning go to soho record come home pick up the son from school so it works really well so i mean i'm enjoying it a lot it's good do you want another coffee by the way Right. Can we do it? Yeah, why well, not? I'll cut this, but this won't be the most scintillating part of the interview. I might yes. leave it in for various similitude. Um, so, coffees are ordered. Um, so, have you seen Survival lately? Well, I, I went to a convention with uh, Shakuntala and, and Will as well. All the Survival gang, Lisa Bauman's there. Um, and they showed that we sat and watched the episode <laughs> with the, the, you know, the people who were there. And they asked us questions as we went through. And that was the first time I'd seen it for a while. But of course, my son is now eight and into Doctor Who. So he wanted to see it. So uh, Sylvester had a copy, actually. So he, he, he gave us a copy of it. So we sat, sat and watched it. Um, you know, I watched it with my son, which is quite interesting because for him, watching it is a different experience as it's his dad, number one, and also as his godfather, Sylvester, number two. So he's watching it with those eyes, you know, as well as the Doctor Who eyes. And of course, there's a big difference with the new Doctor Who and the old Doctor It's really back in time. I mean, talk about time travel, it is a different time. Um, so it's, it's, it's quite interesting to see. I mean, the, you know, the, it, it's changed a lot, but it's, it's, it's a big hit, isn't it, now again? Oh, absolutely. But, but could he, over your son, could he overcome the fact that... Because if, if I think I had this terrible thought the other day that survival, 
which I remember watching clearly when it was first on, yeah. is now longer ago than William Hartnell yes. was when I started getting into Doctor yes. And that was ancient, fusty, black and Absolutely. white, and you assumed everyone was dead. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> what I was talking about that the other day with him, because I was trying to remember my Doctor when I was a kid, and it was really it was John Pertwee, but I remember before that the black and white stuff and being scared of it as a kid in the 60s. And then I kind of worked out it stopped in 89 and there was this great gap before they started it up again. And now it's had this whole new life which seems to have been going on for years and years and years. So it is, you know, and the fact that it's the 50th anniversary kind of brings it home as well. That that's probably over halfway in the fix more than 25 years ago, isn't it? So it's, uh, yeah, and, and the other thing I didn't realise was that it was the last of the old Doctor Who's. I knew Sylvester was the last the last Doctor, but I didn't realise that episode was the final episode until I went to the convention. Oh, really? Yeah, so that kind of also made me think, oh, actually, yeah, it's quite quite significant and it's quite good to be in that episode. I re- no, I remember the gang on Survival, who, who had fun, they used to hang out, was Sylvester and Sophie and us lot, you know, Shakuntala, me, Will, Lisa, that was our little crowd, and Julian Holloway as well. We'd always meet every day after the shoot back at the hotel, have a few drinks and a chat, and that, that was the gang. So, uh, and that was, it was a great little gang, actually. And what do you think of poor old Derek? Because you had to, you had to carry the, the, the weight of most of the being scared acting. <laughs> that's, that's about all I did all the way through it, wasn't it? <laughs> he was such a wimp, it was, uh, yeah. Um... Actually, it's it's funny, because when I saw it, I didn't realise how few lines I had. And that's the thing, as an actor, you notice things like that, don't you, when you look back at things. You suddenly think, that felt like quite a big job at the time, because it was quite a lot of time we spent on it, we did rehearsals, went down there and shot it. And and actually, I didn't say a lot. (laughs) It was kind of around a lot, whimpering and... you know. So that that was was the bulk of his uh, story, wasn't it? Yeah, we, he lost his bottle and yeah, that was it. Yeah. Kind of yeah. It's quite a sweet little lad, wasn't he, really? Just out of his depth yeah. and, um, you know. But he survived. He survived. He, 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 he teamed up with the right people, didn't he? He did. He did. <laughs> and he got back. How, how do you account for the fact that, you know, of all the jobs you've done, in, as we've established, a, a pretty busy career, is any, does, it, does anything get you the same amount of attention as Doctor Who? It's an extraordinary thing. It's, as Lisa... Bowman says it is the job that never ends it's um we thought it had ended you know when Doctor Who finished that was it um and of course uh, the, the great success of the, of the new series brought it all back um I I haven't known anything like it I mean there are a few things that go on and are sold around the world in a, to a similar level of Doctor Who like uh Things like I did um, The Professionals, which is, again, it's another thing that seems like a million light years away. did an episode of The Professionals, and that is a kind of thing that you keep... Every now and then you get letters about The Professionals. Um, and the other one was Sherlock Holmes, uh, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, which was uh, Jeremy Brett, which was a great series. I did, a, did one episode of that, and that's a similar thing. That goes on, and it keeps... It's still repeated now, I think, on one of the ITV channels. ITV3, I think, that One of those, up, yeah. yeah. Um, but nothing to the level of Doctor Who. The fan, you know, the kind of adoration of the Doctor Who thing by the fans is is just constant, non-stop. I've got a letter this week from a Doctor Who fan. Yeah, it just keeps going, you know. Uh, there was a resurgence when they put the DVD out 
which is a few years ago, Survival yeah. was released as a DVD and it sold quite a few. I think maybe because of the significance of it being the last story, etc. So then I started to get, you know, um, more letters, could you sign the photos, etc. And then went to the convention. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's has that been an eye opener going to conventions? Yeah, it has actually. Um, I went once when uh, I took my son along to one when Sylvester did one in London because it was a it was a big science fiction convention and and they had Star Wars there, Darth Vader was there and all that. So my son was in Star Wars, so we went along and it was a bit overwhelming to just turn up and see all this kind of it's completely it was another world, isn't it? It's just mad. But the one I went to as a guest was good fun. And it was, it was our survival crowd. And it was quite a small one. It was in, in a hotel and there were maybe 200 fans, something like that. And it was a nice size. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was really cool because they were people who were obviously into the, the Doctor Who thing, knew the stories, into all the characters, asked interesting questions. It, it, was, it wasn't how you imagined it could be. Yeah, yeah. It was quite interesting, and, and there were good conversations going on between the actors with the, the fans there. Um, it's, it's, it is an eye-opener, definitely. <laughs> it really is, really. Uh, so you mentioned um, Sherlock Holmes. Is there any other sort of television highlights um, over the years, jobs that you particularly enjoyed? I have to mention Big Jim again, Big Jim and the Figaro Club, um, because at the time it was just brilliant fun. It was wonderfully written series. Um, <laughs> they stuck it on BBC Two at ten o'clock at night or something, and it got such a good response. There's a lot of letters written in. Why is this series hidden away? You know, and they did repeat it on BBC One um, at eight o'clock or something. You know, it, it got a much better slot. It was really successful. Ted Walker was the writer, Colin Rose director, and it was just a wonderful kind of feel to it. Um, it's set after the war. You know, in, in the kind of early 50s, so it had that whole 50s feel to it. Um, and it was lovely, gentle comedy. It wasn't a sitcom, but it was, it was a gentle kind of comedy drama, a character-led. Um, we all loved it. It was commissioned for another series eventually. We were all booked to do another series. Uh, all very excited to be going back to do another series. And then Breakfast Television came along, and the BBC budget was all moved. So they, they dropped it. So it was a bit of a bit of a gutter, really. Um, Sylvester always looks back on that one and says that was the, that was the one I would love to have done the whole, you know, as many series as possible yeah. with that one. Uh, and it was one of those character-led things. Soon after, Ovidus and Pet came along because we were on a building site as well. We were in the fifties, but it's a similar kind of thing. And then there was all these. Uh, the other one was Last of the Summer Wine. It was in that kind of mode. Yeah. <clears throat> so that was a bit of a sad one. Loved it. Loved doing the job. Still look back at it. Still funny. A lot, a lot of visual humour in it. You know. Norman Rossington was in it. Another oh, great old actor. Legend, yeah. He was Big Jim. Uh, and then you had Sylvester. And you had another another legend, Gordon Rollings, who was the John Smiths guy. Yeah. Big Yorkshire actor. You know, big clown. Fantastic clown. Wonderful face. Really great humour. Um, so that was a sad one. I think probably the highest quality was a, it was a TV movie um, it did get a cinema release in the end but it was made for telly it was the first ever film on four it was called Remembrance and it was set in Plymouth a, a group of young naval ratings about to go off on their ship on a six month tour 
Um, and it was shot in, I think it was 81 or 82, because it was released around the time of the Falklands. So it became very topical. It was the first film on four, it was on the telly, got great reviews, and then got a cinema release, and you couldn't get a ticket to see it, it was very popular. Great cast. <clears throat> Gary Oldman's first film. Uh, Timothy Spall was in it, and there was a lot of good British actors, and it was a kind of um, a story picking, you know, different characters, their story, and before they're going off on this trip. And of course... Um, what actually happened at that time was that there was one of these ships which was, which was on their regular tour and they just got diverted to the Falklands and were in a war. You know, it was about these 18-year-old kids all getting drunk in Plymouth and laughing and, you know, and the point was is that, you know, one phone call and they're, they're off to war, you know, and it happened. You know, yeah. the movie was made before the Falklands and, and, and there, there it was. So that and that one, that one best film award in the Termina Film Festival, and and it was I had a lead part, and, and it was you know it was probably looking, but I haven't seen it for a few years actually, but it was you know, it was shown BAFTA and it got all sorts of awards. It was a good movie, it was a good interesting movie. Um, and just before we wrap up, of course you you were one of, you were one of the first I think um, to have gone from the television series of Doctor Who to do a big finish. Yes. Yes. And was that because was that was that a coincidence because you were playing a, a part that was tied very much to Sophie Aldred, who of course you'd worked in with Survival? Yeah, um, I think. Well, I, I got on really well with Sophie as well as Sylvester, and I think they, if my memory serves, I think they said to me, "Oh, listen, we're doing a big finish. You know, give them a call." Or it was either that way around, or they asked them to give me a call, uh, and they knew I'd been in a Doctor Who. So it was, you know, it was all linked to the to the original TV. Yeah, um, and that, I think it was quite near the beginning of the big finish. Yeah, it was, a I think it was an early an early yeah. production for them. Yeah, um, and they've gone on to make hundreds. Have they not? Uncountable events. Yeah. Well, look. Um, thanks for your time. Uh, I quickly um, uh, I've, I've suborned you on this one uh, to nominate a, a charity for the listeners to donate to. Yeah, I, th- I think I'm just going to go for the classic Oxfam because uh, I'm not giving them as much as I used to these days because times are a bit hard. So, uh, you know, that would maybe help replace yeah. the money I'm not giving them at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's Doctor Who's 50th anniversary, as we've established. Um, would you, do you have a message for all the Doctor Who fans out there? Well, I think you're an extraordinary bunch and uh, it's because of the fans that it's probably continued this long. Um, and it is unique and it's unique because of the fans and I think um, if it continues to be so well supported it'll probably last another 50 years let's hope it does brilliant David John thank you very much pleasure cheers great I have I have striped people in New Zealand I have travelled all over the country to interview people about Doctor Who and for my interview today, I have walked ten doors down the road to ask somebody who they are and why I'm talking to them about Doctor Who. Uh, hello there. Uh, this is Will Barton. Uh, live in the same road as Toby. Isn't this extraordinary? Uh, Will Barton and I played... Do you want me to tell you why yeah. I did Doctor Who? I played Midge in Doctor Who in 1989 in Survival. Uh, in the last televised uh, Doctor Who adventure. And, uh, yes, we're, we're neighbours, although this is the first time I've been to your house... Um, uh, and I've occasionally seen you in the shop, but we met when we auditioned for Holby City, actually. So you 
beat me to that. Yeah, well, you know, you deserved it, and I'm sorry I didn't see it. I'm sorry I didn't see it. Okay, well, let's go right back to the beginning. What made you become an actor? Probably because um, I, I've never been someone that can really stick at doing one thing for a long period of time. So acting really suits me, uh, the, the idea of doing one job, <laughs> stopping doing a different, uh, different acting job. I've always liked performing, um, and... Um, you know, my mum never gave me tennis coaching. I was beating all my friends playing tennis all the time. These days, any kid that shows any potential, just the slightest tiny bit, I'll get a coaching, do that, do that. Me, she'll come, oh, do you win again? Yep, yep. No, listen, I would never have been a professional tennis player, but it'd be nice to have had a bit of tennis coaching. I mean, acting's the only thing probably I could do. Why, why do I become an actor? I, you know, I enjoyed I was in a junior dramatic society, um, uh, and I used to write sketches and... Um, uh, and I always do funny voices, entertain my friends, do cassette tapes, and the old cassette tapes for them, um, which they seem to enjoy. And uh, and then I did a drama A level, and then I got into drama school. So um, uh, that that was that was why really. Well, and, and you know, playing midge in survival, you're not you know when you're a young actor, mm. uh, certainly from my experience, you know, you get an audition, it's for two lines here, two lines there, and. You, you know, you're the guest lead, essentially. Right, well, OK. Um, again, this wouldn't have happened. If I'd become an actor today, coming out, or, or you know, or been a couple of years out, I, I, wouldn't have, I, I wouldn't have got seen for it, because now you've got casting directors. When I, when I was auditioning for that, there were no casting directors at the BBC, and I was in a cooperative agency, and I'd already met Alan Waring once through some telephone... This is how I used to work in those days. It, it was much more egalitarian, if that's the right word. But um, you, you, there was a, a phone line with jobs on, and there was a casualty job it mentioned. This is on a phone line, you know, on the old-fashioned phones. And I rang, and uh, I found out it's a casualty job, so I wrote to BBC Casualty for this character. And next thing I know, they ring me up directly... I had, a, I had an agent. I don't even, I even had an agent, and and, um, and suddenly I'm in for casualty meeting. Going to play this kid that does something called slamming. It's kind of dancing where you slam against walls. And it, I got down to the last two, and then I wasn't given it. And Alan Waring actually wrote to me, I think, saying it was so close. Uh, but if there's anything else, you know, you know, you were great. And. Um, because because I, yeah, I met him individually and uh, and then the next thing Doctor Who came up by then I was in a co-op a cooperative agency and I saw there was this character I said oh, I want to be put up for this so I think I put myself up for it uh, as somebody else in the agency and then Alan Waring saw my name because that's what it was like in those days no casting director the casting director would have just blocked me yeah gone, no no can't have him I'd done no telly at all I'd never done any telly that came up and then I got uh, I got seen for it uh, was John Nathan Turner was there he went very very good. And I brought my sunglasses in. Hello, darling. It's my daughter, Cara. And I, I brought my own sunglasses in because um, I had some sunglasses. And we did the scene where he, Mitch takes off his glasses in the youth club and goes, don't move. You do anything that I say or something like that. And, uh, and yeah, I remember wearing, liking it. And then, I got, and then I was in the office when the phone call came through. And I was a Doctor Who fan as a kid as well. You know, I, I wouldn't quite go as far as complete geek obsessive but I was there hiding behind the sofa and loving it right up on it and um, I remember that someone from the production office went hello just ring about Will Barton 
Oh, uh, yes, yes. Uh, we'd like to offer him the part of Midge in Doctor Who. I went, uh, I think this will make his weekend. <laughs> it was a Friday. Yes. Ah. Oh, great. I didn't say who I was. I, said, I remember who she was, but I can't remember her name. She's lovely, lovely. And I said, thank you. And I was just like, I can't believe this. And I remember I was on the tube. I think I remember someone having like a Doctor Who shirt. And I was going to say, I'm going to be in that. I'm going to be in that. I can't believe this. can't believe it. And it was a dream from first day to, to end. And at the end... Funny enough, John Nathan Turner said to me, "But well, you, you did, you did better. how he spoke. Now you did very well. I can't remember how he spoke." But um, I said, "Oh, thanks, boss. It was my first first job. You know, my first television job." And he went, "Your first? He said, "Well, it's probably a good thing I didn't know that." <laughs> <laughs> so it was like it was, you know. So uh, it would, you know. It's a different world, isn't it's it? Different world now. It's different worlds. You know, you could get seen. Now. Yeah. And um, you know, it's, 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 although I have been seen. For Doctor Who, a couple of times recently, for very small parts, in, in a, well, not for a, a couple of years. Um, but it's really difficult to audition for. Really, it's much easier to audition for big parts. You, you know, it's a, going for a small parts, a few lines. It's, it's well, suddenly, if you've difficult. got one, if you've got one line that's five words, suddenly every word looms large. Yeah. Right? yeah. If you've got a couple of pages, you just play it's, it. Exactly. 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 You, so it's like you, you, audition is a sort of false uh, experience because you have to give give them something sort of you feel like you have to give them something extra but if you've just got three lines or five lines six lines you're, you're um, you know you, you do, too, <laughs> you just, much. You do yeah. too much possibly you know but I mean Midge you had lots of lines it's a it's a very nice part and yeah. wearing he's got such an eye you know quite often directors who've got a really good eye aren't good with actors but he gets good performances too oh no he's great because uh, he's, I like him as a director there's no pretension what, what I think is Good about wearing um, is is that um, he's 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 very much I remember in rehearsal he's very much seeing the shots doing it with his hands um, uh, and he's and he sort of leaves the actors to get on it get on with it he trusts us and then he just gets you confident because he tells you how good you are <laughs> so <laughs> I wrote, that's pretty good isn't it really uh, and um, if you feel you're going the right way and you can get an angle on it then. Um, then that's really good. That's that's all you need. You don't want a director interfering. I don't you know, like directors that interfere too much unless I'm struggling, you know, with something. So, uh, um, yeah, he was good. Very, very positive. I mean, you know, it's still one of the most fun jobs ever. Well, and you, I, I, I take it you didn't know at the time that it was going to be the last no, Doctor Who no, story. I had no idea. And uh, it was up against Coronation Street, wasn't it? Yeah. Michael Grade was winding it all down on purpose, I think. It was a Machiavellian approach <laughs> to getting rid of Doctor Who. Just so uh, the budget was being wound down. And um, I had no idea uh, but, um, that it was going to be the, these were going to be the last three episodes. Yeah, so it's actually not a bad one to be in the last Doctor Who story ever and one that's filmed in a sort of quarry thing. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's heaven, heaven, and, and I, I'm still so grateful for it. And, um, you know, such is, such is life that it's because I listened to a phone line once about casualty that I got to be in Doctor Who. And, and right. it just shows you, you know, and I never make any effort. I'm so lazy, I and mean, that's another reason I'm an actor, probably. I, I never make... I'm rubbish at writing letters... Uh, Keeping in contact with people, and um, you know, there I was hearing a phone line one night. If I hadn't done that, I'd have never been in Doctor Who. Well, I noticed your your daughter's called Kara. You know, that's the name of Lisa <laughs> Bowman's character. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you weren't in the talons of Wang Chiang. <laughs> <laughs> please, please, uh, Doctor Who fans, don't think that I'm. I named my daughter. In fact, um, what, I think what we have to get clear here is that I'm married to a woman who. Who, who 
makes all the decisions. So Cara is named after her dance teacher. My son Bryn is named after my wife's father. The idea that I would get a look in on the choice of names <laughs> is just <laughs> fanciful. Nothing to do with Doctor Who. And it is Cara with a C. Yeah, okay, well. yeah. we will forgive you. Yes, but thank if, you. If our thank eyes you. go green later. Yes, thank you, yes, yes. <laughs> they both love Doctor Who, my children, by the way. My son's complete geek dresses up as Doctor Who. Uh, or the, sorry, not Doctor Who, the Doctor. Can we... Yeah, get that right, the Doctor. Oh, no, and it's been great kudos for me to, to have it with my son because when he was little watching it and... and um, I can't believe my dad was in Doctor Who. And you got up close and personal with one of the true enigmas of Doctor Who, who is Anthony Ainley. Yeah, yeah. Well, he... Um, no, but, yeah, he... Obviously, I was, like, I become a psych psychic of him, and I remember sitting in his car. This was when we were filming in, uh, near Perivale in a park. Oh, they were filming something there, and we were using it as a base. We were listening to cricket. He was a cricket obsessive, and we were listening to, come and listen to the cricket. So we were listening to cricket, and he's, uh, um, yeah, again, a very nice guy. I think he lived in Collindale with his mum, I, th I believe. It's not the only sci-fi you've done, because I remember when I was at university through the 80s seeing you keep popping up in Space Precinct, yeah. of which high things were expected. <coughs> <laughs> Didn't turn out that way, probably. Um, yes, yeah, Space Precinct, again, another accident. That, you know, well, not an accident, I, was, I got in, but um, I know a guy called Andrew Dawson, Andy Dawson, and he was he did his own Thunderbird show. Um, he uses mime a lot. He's a mime sort of performer rather than an actor. And he had a live Thunderbird show, and it was very funny with a mate, I think, called Rob Thirtle, and another guy, Gavin. Oh, and he who was also in Space Oh, Bruce yes, and, and, and Gavin as well, I think, did it with them as well. Also. Uh, but we... My wife knew Andy's wife, who was a stage manager, and uh, and he knew I was an actor. And then he was going off to do... He was employed for the year on Space Precinct, and what they had was they had a group of physical performers, uh, mime, people that could use bodies well, to play play all, all the space aliens, to play all the aliens, because they needed people that could know how to use their body, because they weren't... You know, they had to be able to express in the body, not just in, in the face, because they got these big jelly heads on. And Andy had um, was leaving. He had to leave because he had he had a, uh, another job to go to. Again, there's a, there was a casting director on board. This was about 1994. I think it was Amanda Howard, and who I didn't know. But Andy said, "Look, Will, do you want to take over? This is brilliantly paid. Um, you know, it's a world buyout. It's great, great money." I said, "Of course I do." He said, "Listen, let me just work it out. I'll just see if I can get you in to replace me." So. <clears throat> Well, you think nothing will come of this. This is at Pinewood. Nothing will come. Next, he says, "You're in. You're in." No casting director. Not going. I think he might have cleared it with a man who had to look. I've got someone to replace me. He's really good. And just you know, said I said I was great. And um, I've been filming for about a week. And I get called in. Jerry Anderson goes, "Just to say hello." Just goes, "Who are you?" <laughs> I go, "I'm Will." Replaced Andy. Goes. I don't know you. I don't know anything about you. Yeah, it was, it was very early on, actually. It was, it was less than a week. It was about the second day. Um, and he'd just seen me walking around, and he hadn't been told. And he said, well, you know, this... You know, I don't know what you're like. You know, you've been brought in. I said, I know. He said, listen. He said, I'm going to keep my eye on you. And if I'm not happy, you'll be out. <laughs> <laughs> OK. And I was like, OK. I went, right. I went, left. 
never heard from him again. <laughs> I have to say that that would have made me automatically rubbish. At no, uh, yeah, no. I, do you know? I, I was so, having such a good time already, and the people were so nice, and and I, I did take to it like a duck to water. And there were all these different characters, but he, he never heard anything again. And I, they all got on with everyone. So obviously the feedback was fine. Um, having said that, I did leave after 50... I think I said about 15 weeks on it. I left myself because I wasn't under contract. How did I get away with this? Because I got a job at the National Theatre. And al- although the, the money for these 15 weeks was... You know, you know you're getting cheques in 1994 for, you know, over a grand a week, you know, which was it was like small lottery wins for me in those mm. days. You know, a grand went a lot further than it does now. You know, it was the equivalent of a few grand a week <laughs> compared to now, it felt like. Um, and, um, yeah, I got a job at the National you know, going down to a quarter of that. Uh, but I thought, oh, no, that's my career. And uh, so then I left, and I think someone else came in to replace me, but it was very fluid, and how nice that you, you, people could come and go. You know, Ray Winston was in it. He came for one episode, and um, this was before his renaissance, and it, he was down, and I was... Um, this was the episode where I actually was my favourite episode because I played, I played a guy called Gagnon, and they didn't dub me. Um, and he was a sort of mafioso alien in a wheelchair with sort of bronchial problems. And <laughs> <laughs> he kind of talked like that. And he kind of talked like I'm going to get you on the rock, man. I'm going to do you, you're right. So he had this kind of voice and they liked it. You know, something like that. And then he'd be breathing and have an oxygen mask. And, and that. Um, it was real fun to play. And uh, But I also had another character in that with Ray Winston who was... Um, I think, was, was I an alien? Yeah, I think I was an alien, yeah. But a different alien who was who was stopped. But Ray Winston was, we were hanging around by this tunnel and um, and Rob Youngblood, do you remember yeah, him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he was, how can I say, very American. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he had, I think, uh, I did hear, I can't remember, yeah, he had an American flag above his dressing room or something like that. Uh, yeah, and he, he was kind of like, quite kind of, kind of full of himself and sort of worked out uh, you know, and uh, Ray Winston had sort of been, um, he going, oh, mate, yeah, I have a Benson Edges, we're going out for a fag. And so I said, and I said well, I you know, how, how are you doing? How's your crew going? Come on, mate, you know, I can't get jobs, I'm cabbing, I'm you know, doing this. <laughs> and I'm like, right, 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 okay. And he was a bit sweaty, a bit nervous with it all, but he was still Ray Winston. And um, then um, we were sitting by a tunnel waiting to do something, and Ray, Rob Youngblood was sitting in the tunnel. I could see Ray didn't sort of like the look of him. And he went to me, went, what's he like? Bit of a <laughs> And Rob Youngblood just shot round and just stared at him, you know. And, uh, and Ray Winston just stayed really calm, looked at him and went, got good ears as well. <laughs> I was like, Christ. <laughs> look the other way. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, so that was, that was, that was fun. Um... But yeah, it was. It was. They were, everyone was so fun on it, and I was sad to leave it. So, w- was it worth doing the the national? I mean, when you when you work yeah. at a theatre like the national, does does that lead to other stuff? Yeah, it did. Uh, I, I think jobs even. You know, it, 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 it did. I, I was in because um, I, I was in Women of Troy, which was probably the, one of the worst productions ever. A worthy political adjectprop production, where I was playing American soldiers <laughs> running around. Um, uh, some sort of anti-American sort of take on it, and then I was, but then I was in mid, um, sorry, um, Mary Wise of Windsor, where uh, I was a small part Slender, but I also then took over, uh, sorry, small part John, but I took over as Slender, 
when Lloyd Hutchison got ill with food oh, poisoning. He's a man, man. Oh, he's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I, I did a couple of weeks on that, uh, ten days, and uh, yeah, he was great. And so I, I um, and uh, yeah, that that was great fun, and I had such great fun. And then Terry Hans, who directed that, then just offered me a job at Chichester with Lauren Bacall and Joss Ackland playing a Joss Ackland's son, and that was uh, a nice character in The Visit. So that led to that, and then that's on the CV. You got the visit, you got the national, and then that leads to other other jobs. There's no doubt about it. I, I, I'd made the right decision doing that. It has led to other jobs, and I think jobs do lead to other jobs, even if you, you can't always quite connect why. There's there's normally a reason. Work, well, work breeds work, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does, and it's on the CV, and, and, and you've got two hands. And, the yeah. Lauren Bacall episode of Space Precinct sadly never came it to never, be. It never <laughs> came to be, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I became aware of your work after Doc 2, um, because a flatmate of mine did a did a, a comedy. It was an audition for a pilot, I think, and he was being nurtured. And he said, "Oh, the, there was this guy from Doc Two. He was the guy who turned into a cat in Survival." And then I think I read an interview with you in Doc Two magazine where you'd said that you'd been you'd been writing a lot of comedy. So where did that come from? Yeah, um, I, I did. Um, uh, I've got a, a mate who's very very funny, and we started ringing up radio stations, local radio stations. There was something called London News Radio with Linda Hayes. She was Canadian, I think. And we started plaguing her with this phone-in show. And we'd be different characters. So some, sometimes I was Major Morris Hamill and he was my butler, Barnstable. And but she kind of was quite naive. And she sort of... We really have talked about know, I went on the dating game, first of all. She said, well, you know, we got this dating game. We're setting people up. And, and I was, hello, my name's... Uh, uh, Morris, Morris Hemmel. My name's Morris Hemmel. I'm uh, 58. I, I like younger ladies. Um, I've got a boat in Henley, needs a bit of work. Uh, my hobbies include uh, doing the garden and hurdling over the posts, hurdling. She was, oh my God, we got to find someone for you, Morris. And he found me this woman who came on and goes, Hello there, Morris. So I said, Oh, yes, you sound all right. Yeah, like that. And then my mate would show up and go, uh, Your drink is here. <laughs> oh, thank you, Miss Barnstable. He's a sort of mate, you know, he makes me drinks. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then we'd ring back, then we'd ring back to these characters called Darren and Kerry because we'd both done clerking work in Crown Court as, as you know, unemployed actors. Um, and then we met these brothers called Darren and Kerry, who were hysterical. Um, I don't listen to this, Darren and Kerry. Anyway. But we, yeah, we, um, and um, they were always in trouble, and we were always representing them. And uh, and they were like two brothers going, all right, mate. And I, so we used to ring up this Darren and Kerry guy, like, says, Darren, my name's Darren, and I'm Kerry. And um, they, they were hysterical characters, because, in fact, one... This is absolutely true. We, we started doing these stand-up, Darren and Kerry, but they... Um, there was a Mr. Canny Wonder, that was his name, who'd been, um, they'd threatened to burn down his shop because he was a witness against them in a, in a crime. And Mr. Canny Wonder said, but I didn't take their threat to burn down my shop seriously because they live above it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they were great characters, and we stirring up as them, going, all right. And, and, then, and then we did, my mate had a high, has a high, higher voice than me, and he was great, and he'd do um, an old lady called Valerie. Valerie, who we'd ring Linda Hayes with this as well, and she totally believed it. Valerie, yes, I, talking about um, dogs uh, pooing in the streets, she said, well, I've been aware of a, a dog pooing on the streets, and it's not acceptable. And a friend of mine uh, in, in Paris uh, advised me about best quality Dijon put on the dogs behind. They won't 
do it again. And so she's had this whole story about getting this dog away from its owner and, and applying Dijon mustard to the dog's behind and saying, you may have seen a greyhound run fast. Well, I've seen a sausage dog cover 100 yards in under six seconds. <laughs> after the... But so we rang with these different characters and then suddenly uh, we put them together one night and Linda Hayes suddenly worked out that we were all these different people, invited us in, and we did these characters on the radio and then the producer of that got us a job on what was called talk radio um, that's turned into talk sport. This was about 1996. Um, and we, so we did a little radio thing there for a few weeks uh, with a live phone-in show where we did ridiculous things. And my mate read People's Stars as uh, this Vladimir Ostrovskaya Russian stargazer. I read your mind. And, and that, was, that was very funny because some people totally believed he guessed their star sign and just by luck would get it first sometimes. And then he'd tell them not to feed the cat that they were feeding from next door. And this, I remember saying that one, this one, oh, yes. <laughs> oh, brilliant, really, don't feed it. Best be, best be made into gloves. Good luck. <laughs> uh, and things, we had things like, why are short people bossy? And people bringing really offended. And, and remember this one's going, it's, it's bad as racism to say short people are bossy. And, uh, you know, it's completely generalised. And I said, well, how tall are you? So that's irrelevant. I said, well, you're certainly bossy. <laughs> <laughs> So that was great um, for a short time. And then we we started doing stand-up. Like, with the comedy, it kind of petered out with my mate. I was getting the most work I've ever got as an actor in the 90s. This was around uh, 96, 96, 97, 98. And I was doing a show. My son was born in 97. And then I was doing this show that was going to the West End, on tour to the West End, out in John's Glasses, in 98. Um... My mate was training to be a barrister then. He'd gone to university as a mature student and, and he was um, wanted to be a barrister for, for the security. Uh, I was doing a TV series called How Do You Want Me as well around mm -hmm. that time. I did two of those, with, which was written by Simon Nye with Dylan Moran. It's a lovely show, yeah. yeah. Charlotte Coleman. Charlotte Coleman, yeah, yeah. And um, I did turn... He's, I don't know if he's... He always makes jokes about it. He's still my best mate. And he says... Uh, says uh, you know, I turned to him apparently and said, look, I don't want to do this. My son's been born. I'm doing work in the West End, doing a TV series. I don't need to do this at the moment. It's just too much to do. And really, we should carry on because we've done this TV series, Barking, and, we, and people like David Williams were in it, Mackenzie Crook, Omid uh Peter Kay was... We never met him, actually, but he, he was, did a brilliant sketch in it. A lot of Catherine Tate was in that. Uh, and um, <coughs> um, Dave Lamb, who does... He's in it. He does the voiceovers for Come Dine with Me? He does. Brilliant, yeah. brilliant voiceovers. Um, and uh, we, uh, and they did actually speak to me actually when I was in the West End. They, they sent someone around to uh, Channel X. It was to say, look, are you going to do any more for us? And we've got some people you could write with, Dave Pontac, Jane Busman, and I didn't. And I was such a, uh, you know, but that's life. Um, I, I was doing other stuff, uh, and uh, I, my mate was, you know, off somewhere else, and he he does ring me up, and goes, do you? See? Do you see where they are now? Dave Williams, <laughs> multi-millionaire, Catherine Tate, thank you very much. <laughs> and I'm just a bum barrister in Sussex. But, um, you know, it's funny. We just make a joke about it and, and laugh about it. And I do keep thinking I, I should be brave enough to do, do my own stand-up again on my own without, without my mate, without Kristen. But um, I, I'd like to think of myself as lucky. I mean, so many people are... Uh, uh, you know, living in other parts of the world, and and I, I don't really have much time for actors that complain about the unfairness of life because really, just the, even living in Britain and, and having my home and, and my kids and everything is uh, I'm I'm very fortunate, and I get acting work as well. And uh, you know, I, I, you know, I'm always doing do bits of TV, go and do theatre. Um, so 
you know, do a day job as well. And um, so I'm, I'm pretty lucky, really. And do you have a... Because you, uh, you've very kindly given your time um, and the listeners aren't paying for this, so we asked them to uh, donate to a charity. So what's your charity of choice? Well, it came straight off my, my head um, uh, and it's Bernardo's um, because um, uh, Bernardo's is an amazing charity in Britain that um, takes children... It used to be years ago. It was Doctor Bernardo's, and it was they had orphanages, but they've they've become real sort of modern, up to date, and they, and they he's take, been struck off, has he? Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's gone. He's gone. Um, yeah, because it was you know uh, obviously Doctor Bernardo's did good things, but um, you know, there were bad things as well. And Doctor Bernardo's homes, but Bernardo's the charity is a really modern charity that helps kids that have maybe been on the street uh, because they've suffered abuse from their parents or their parents are drug addicts or and then they've got into maybe prostitution or uh, become drug addicts themselves through no fault of their own it always is a case that these these, these are kids that have had horrendous been brought up horrendously and, and they're given amazing therapy psychotherapy uh, they're given they're, they're told they belong and they and they get their lives back and there's some amazing stories and uh, i think it's uh, uh it's so so important to, to help them, so I think Bernardo's would be a good one. I could have chosen some other ones, but um, that's the first one that came. To no, that's to a mind. good one, and that's one that nobody's nominated before. So, uh, and the final question, which is an awful question, but I did it on the first podcast, and I seem to now be saddled with it, is to say it's Doctor Who's fiftieth anniversary this year. Uh, you've encountered a few of them. What is your message to the Doctor Who fans listening out there on this fiftieth anniversary year? And you can be as glib as you like, because <laughs> it's a terrible sure. question. <laughs> coming um my message to doctor who fans is um listen because it's the the 50th year and i'm i'm like in that one where it stopped for 16 years and this is a huge thing you got to request that i get more invites to more conventions and uh, somehow get me to america because i'd like to do it oh okay okay i think that's the message so that's all about me that's That's a good that's fine i'd like to go to america and do a convention that'd be a lot of fun wouldn't it yeah and this would be the year to do it because of course yeah um survival is is pretty much because it's the 50th year is now as long ago as the first episode of doctor who was when survival was on Wow. Pretty much a give or yeah, take yeah, a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that extraordinary? And that was fusty old black and white with lots of dead people in wow. it. Wow, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, well, my, actually, my, my agent's father... Was it father? Grandfather? Father? I don't know. Father? No, grandfather. It was William Hartnell. Ca- Jessica Carney. Jessica Carney is yeah. your agent. Yeah, it's, it, her grandfather. Her was, grandfather was William Hartnell. Her grandfather William was William Hartnell. Hartnell. Yeah, yeah. So well, there there's go. a nice tie-in. There's a nice tie-in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... There we go. Well, we invoke the spirit of William Hartnell. Yeah. Uh, well, Will Barton, you've allowed me into your house, you've made me a cup of tea, and it's a lovely sunny day. Uh, thank you for talking to me about Doctor Who. You're welcome. Right. Yeah, that was great. That was great. Thanks to Shakuntala, to David and to Will. Uh, lovely people and all stood in touch, having met on Doctor Who. Their charities are Water Aid, which is www.wateraid, all one word, dot org, slash UK, forward slash UK. Uh, Oxfam, which is www.oxfam.org.uk. 
and Bernardo's, which is www.bernardo's, capital B, A R N A D O S dot org dot uk. Uh, remember, this was a feature length one, so if you could give to each of those, because they were each the equivalent of one Who's Round. But we bunched them all together to uh, celebrate survival, Doctor Who's last hurrah for quite a while. Uh, Doctor Who has had many subsequent hurrahs, thanks, of course, to Russell T. Davis. So, how about for Podcast 59, we have part three of my interview with him? That's in the next Toby Haddock's Who's Round. period of five to seven days, followed by a fever lasting anything upwards of 24 hours. Beyond that, well, we're only starting to see that now. Sorry, Mr. Redgrave. They're dead. This whole family, they're not breathing, not moving. But I got better, didn't I? I got better, so they, they, they should have got better too! We made the world so much smaller. Thought we were so clever. <laughs> Nobody ever thought what would happen if it suddenly got big again. This is Dr. James Gillison. Can anybody hear me? Well, when the plague came, I was in Holland. When I flew back, came down the coast, I saw enough to know that what we've experienced in Britain is likely to be the same across the world. You know what the towns are like. There's disease. I haven't spoken to anyone for days. I'm Jenny, by the way. Jenny Richards. It's a matter of survival. Survival. 